Hi, I'm Gary. This is episode 73 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at why people think they need so much range in their car when, in reality, they don't. They really don't. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that I'm putting together a round table episode for the end of the season, same as last season. Let me know what topics you want to hear discussed. Email me at evmusings at gmail.com with your suggestions. Thank you. Our main topic of discussion today is range. Not range anxiety, but range itself. Actually, it's more to do with the EV mindset. One big problem that EV uptake has had is that the vast majority of people are still looking at them with the mindset they have for a fossil fuel vehicle. We've talked about this before in the episode entitled The Narrative, uh, link to that in the show notes. At its basic level, it boils down to the fact that oil companies have brainwashed people into thinking that the only way cars work is if you can drive them hundreds of miles without stopping and then drop into a filling station and fill up in a few minutes. So now people are looking at EVs and seeing two issues with this. One, they can't drive hundreds of miles. And two, they don't refill in minutes. But we need to look at this from a different point of view. Recently, a German newspaper polled a number of fossil fuel car drivers and and asked them two questions. The first one was, how far should an electric car be able to drive on a single charge before you would consider one? And the second question was, how many kilometres do you drive in a typical day? The results were quite staggering. I've linked to the tweet in the show notes. Basically, as I tweeted out, 81% of non-EV drivers think they need an EV with over 300 kilometres of range. 30% thought they needed more than 300 kilometres. But 92% of drivers do fewer than 99 kilometres a day. In fact, only 2% of those polled did more than 150 kilometres a day. And this shows a fundamental misalignment between wants and needs. It can all be tracked back to the fossil fuel model I mentioned a few months ago. But like any piece of perceived wisdom, the fossil fuel model will take a while to change. Time for a seemingly unrelated anecdote. For many years, the insurance company used to produce insurance policies and they'd take about a week to be confirmed and sent out. When online companies started to intrude into the business, they wanted to know why it took a week or so to produce something that just needed printing and mailing out. So they sent analysts to interview the insurance companies. They were told, oh yes, we get the policy printed out, we send it to our fantastic sorting warehouse near Cardiff. It's fully automated, completely run by computer. It manages all the documents, collates cover notes, explanation leaflets, introductory letters, slips it all into an envelope, and then we file it away for a week and send it to the customer. And they said, why do you keep it for a week? Oh, I don't know about that. You'll have to go to the warehouse and ask them. So the analysts went to the warehouse and chatted with the manager. Tell us how it works here, they asked. Oh, yes, the manager said. We get the printed policy. We put it into our warehouse. It's fully automated, completely run by computer. It manages all the documents, collates cover notes, explanation leaflets, introductory letters, slips it all into an envelope. Then we keep it for a week and send it out to the customer. But why do you keep it for a week? Why not send it right out? Uh, I I don't know. Let's get Fred in. He's been working here longest. He'll know. So Fred comes in and sits down with the analysts. How long have you been here, Fred? They said. Oh, 35 years, man and boy. I was on the old system before they brought in this computerised warehouse, you know. Have you seen it? It's fully automated, completely run by computer, manages all the documents, collates cover notes, explanation leaflets and intro... Fred, why do you keep the letters a week before sending them out to the customer? Ah, says Fred, back when I was a young and all the policies used to be handwritten on parchment. 
Everything got left for a week so the ink would dry and not smear on policy. You don't want to send a smeared policy out to a customer, you know. When we moved to the new warehouse, that came with us. Take yourself back a hundred or so years. The prime mode of transport was a horse. Either riding a horse or riding in a carriage pulled by one or more horses. Then along comes somebody who tells you that there's a solution which is called the horseless carriage. It takes four people, runs on this miraculous fuel called gasoline, and here's the kicker, it means you won't need to keep your horses anymore. So you look at the spec and you realise the following things. One, it's a lot more expensive than buying a horse. Two, it's very, very unreliable. It breaks down so much that you need to carry a full repair kit around with you at all times. Three, for the earliest adopters, they could only travel slow enough that a man with a red flag had to walk in front of them and warn people they were coming. On top of that, much like horses, the motor car kicked out some disagreeable substances from the back end. But unlike with horses, you couldn't take this disagreeable substance and put it on your roses. So look at what I've just said in context and tell me which one of these two solutions you would go for. The horse, which is quicker, cheaper and easier to manage, plus it gives you fertiliser for your garden. Or the loud, expensive me mechanical monstrosity which needs constant attention, expensive and hard to source gasoline to run on, regular maintenance, is painfully slow and produces a noxious smoke that affects breathing and covers everything with a layer of dirt. And yet look at which method of transport prevailed. The fact of the matter is, the better technology actually won, but you can guarantee that the industries supporting horses did everything in their power to highlight the problems associated with the horse's carriage. They'll have talked about the fact that a horse just needs a bale of hay and an apple and it's ready to go again. They'll have told you the horse can go far farther in a day than a horse's carriage could before it needs more gasoline. They'll have told you the horse can negotiate dirt tracks and fields and slopes far easier than those contraptions that had uncomfortable solid wheels and poor suspension. Plus, you can pull things with your horse that you couldn't with your horse's carriage. A trailer, for one thing. If you were a farmer, this was of paramount importance. In short, why would you ever consider a horse's carriage? So let's look at the current fossil fuel narrative. You have to be able to drive 500 miles and refill it in just a few minutes. Why is that? Is it because quick refueling is the best way to put energy into a vehicle? Or is it that because there's no way you can produce that fuel at home, you really don't want to spend a long time sitting at a petrol station filling up? Remember, fossil fuels are explosive products. There are laws and regulations governing who can handle them and how they can be dispensed. That's why you can only sell petrol at a filling station. Nobody under the age of 16 can use a pump and there has to be an emergency cutoff switch in the shop in case there's a spill and a fire. But still, we have hundreds and hundreds of fires at filling stations every year. Knowing that, would you want to spend any more time there than you needed to? Of course not. And that's one of the reasons why refueling a car only takes a few minutes. Because it really has to. But remember, for the privilege of using their filling station, the oil companies are going to charge you upwards of £5.20 per imperial gallon at December 2020 prices in the UK. The amount of money people are spending on fossil fuels to keep their cars running is unbelievable. At one point, the largest cheque ever written was from British Petroleum to the taxman to cover the tax payment it had on its profits. That's the sort of money big oil is making. But let's look at this from a different point of view. Draw a line across a sheet of paper from left to right and split it into 24 equal sections. Now that's a typical day. At the left it's midnight, in the middle it's midday, and at the right it's midnight. 
Now fill in all the time in which you're actually travelling in your car. Now fill in all the time your car is sitting stationary, doing nothing. Now, if you're a taxi driver, it will show a different result, and don't worry, we'll come to you later. Now, if you're driving a fossil fuel car, put a little dot at every point in the day when you can stop at a petrol station and fill up your car. Do you notice something? The dots always coincide with the times you were already out driving. Now, let's do the same for an electric vehicle. On the timeline, draw a horizontal line under all the times at which your car could be charging. Notice that it corresponds to all the times your car isn't actually driving anywhere. So look at this from a logical point of view. Would you much rather have a vehicle that gets its energy as a function of taking time out of the small percentage of time you're driving? Or would you rather have a vehicle that uses the time it's stationary to take on that energy? Literally plug it in and leave it. But I don't have a home charger. Well, sure, not everybody does. But I'm guessing you go shopping or pre-COVID headed to work in your car. And I bet in your car either sat in a car park at work or in a car park at the railway station for, what, eight hours every day, right? I'm also betting that your commute from home to the railway station was less than about five miles, am I right? Which means on a car with a 100-mile range, you could do that return trip eight days in a row and still have around 20% left in your battery. And I'm betting you probably head to the supermarket once a week to do some shopping, right? If you shop at Aldi, Little Tesco or Morrison's or some Waitrose stores, chances are there's a store near you that has a charger in the car park. Or if you go to the local shopping centre, I'm betting they put chargers in their car park, right? The Oracle in Reading has chargers on the top floor, as does Festival Place in Basingstoke. The Meadowhall Centre in Sheffield has dozens of them. I went to a great Yorkshire EV meet there last year. There are eight in the Bullring, Birmingham, two in the Gate, Newcastle, chargers in the Merrion Centre, Leeds and countless other locations around the country. And that's not counting the commercial car parks in the city that also have them installed. So instead of having to stop your 500 mile drive to specifically take on more fuel, you can do your regular drive, plug in when you're not using the car and let it charge by itself. And let's not talk about having to physically stay with your vehicle while you pump petrol or diesel into it, shall we? Now, if you drive a taxi, the situation might be a bit different. It's entirely possible you'll be in a vehicle that does hundreds and hundreds of miles per day. It might also be the sort of vehicle that's shared amongst drivers and works two or maybe three shifts. Where do you find time to recharge? Well, we've already mentioned on earlier episodes that wireless charging is a tech that can help here. Taxi ranks can be equipped with induction charging pads that allow you to literally stop on top of them while waiting for a fare and, with the right tech setup, charge at up to 80 kilowatt charge speed. There are trials taking place in Oslo at the moment that do exactly that with Jaguar I-Paces. The underlying tech for that's quite straightforward and putting induction charges in taxi ranks is something local councils can do relatively easy if there's a political will. Induction charging is fine if you're running around town, but what if you're out and about taking a customer from, say, Swindon to Gatwick Airport? That's about 90 miles each way. If you're in a taxi, you're probably driving something like a Nissan Leaf 40kWh with a usable range of about 140-150 miles, so you're going to have to recharge. And this will mean you have to stop somewhere and take on some power. Luckily, Gatwick has chargers in the area, and very shortly, there will be a BP Pulse 150kW charger set implemented at the Reading services on the M4. If you're in an I-Pace, you can do the same trip and stop at Cobham Services, where the Ionity CCS chargers will allow 100kW charging between 20% and 40% state of charge, giving you about 40 miles of distance in around 5 minutes. The charge speed will tail off after that, but you'll still get more than 50kW right up to 85%. 
If you're in the e-tron or a Tesla, the maths work out even better given the phenomenal charge speed of these cars. The Model 3 will put 100 miles of charge into the battery in about 10 minutes on a top-speed supercharger. Even if you're in an EV that can do a 180-mile journey without needing to charge, such as the Model 3 or the e-Nero, you're still going to have used a chunk of your range going to and from the airport. At some point, you'll need to get that charge up for the next journey to the airport or the centre of London or Cornwall or wherever the vagaries of the taxi and private hire industry take you. So having a rapid charger nearby will be very important. And this is where the issue of charger coverage comes in. We've already covered the topic of why CPOs put chargers where they do in our first discussion with the charge point operators. And there's a link in the show notes to that episode. In an upcoming episode, we're going to be looking at where the main gaps in coverage, especially for rapid chargers, are in the UK. So to sum up, we have to get ourselves out of this fossil fuel mindset of drive 500 miles and refuel in five minutes. Remember, if all you have is a hammer, then every problem is a nail. If the only way you can refuel is to go to a specific location to purchase custom-made flammable propellant that costs a fortune, then you really don't want to be there any longer than you need to. But if there are other options, and with electric cars there absolutely are, then this mindset must change. Remember Fred and the insurance policy that needed to be stored for a week before sending it out to let the ink dry? Just because things have always been done that way, it doesn't mean they should continue that way. You know, at one point the only way you could watch movies was by going to a theatre and paying money to sit in a dark room with a load of strangers. Nowadays you can sit at a charger in a Tesla and watch those same movies on the in-car screen thanks to YouTube. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Apparently up to 15% of all second-hand cars in the UK are now electric. After they only accounted for around 1% of all second-hand cars looking for homes in the rest of 2020, something happened in December, and that's now shot up to 15%. It's thought that the announcement about the UK ban of ICE vehicles in 2030 has prompted more people to look for second-hand EVs. As a result, more people with EVs they've been driving for a while have decided to put them up for sale. And don't forget also that people like me, who lease their EV for two or three years, are coming to the end of their lease. And if you're on a rental-only lease like me, the car you lease goes straight into the second-hand market when your lease is up. So everyone who's leased a new EV over the last two, three or four years is now providing fodder for the second-hand car market. The offshoot of this is that as more and more people get into second-hand EVs in the next few years, it will pave the way for those same people to get more familiar and more comfortable when driving an EV. And when the ban on new internal combustion engine sales starts in 2030, they'll be at the front of the line for new EV sales. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com or use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called, So, You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't mind, please leave a review, preferably five star, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he's looking to get into home security. Thinks there's a market for remote monitoring of people's houses using CCTV cameras, coupled with artificial intelligence to determine what's happening. 
and sending out the police if needed. He reckons it'll work with just him managing a whole estate. In fact, he can monitor everything from his phone. It's fully automated, completely run by computer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.